All right, so today we are wrapping up our series uh, called Amateurs. And the reason we started this seven weeks ago is we're starting a church in a neighborhood and we don't have a ton of precedent to do it. Like, I've never pastored a church in New England. A lot of you have never been part of a new church. Most of you have never been part of a church that meets in a school. So a lot of this is new. A lot of you have never followed Jesus before. It's like learning to walk together in a lot of different ways. And so over the series, we talked about being amateur pastors and amateur uh, disciple makers and amateur evangelists who are sharing our faith. And today we're going to talk about being part of an amateur movement because we're really trying to just level the playing field, get to the Bible and say, God, what do you want us to be? We don't have a ton of, you know, we know what we don't want to become, but we're not totally sure what we're going to become. And so whatever God wants to do in this neighborhood through Christ Church Charlestown, it will in a lot of ways be a first, or at least a first in a long, long time. And so everybody today got a bag of Funyuns, right? Pull out your bag of Funyuns. Uh, if you want to, you can open it and eat it if you would like. I would prefer that you not, but um, because of the crunching, but that's up to you. Uh, garlic, go ahead. Yep, go ahead. Here, it's on the recorder. Do it. Um, Garlic-flavored sandpaper. Funyuns will tear your gums to bits. I've never, ever... I can't stand Funyuns. I... I have never confused a Funyun with a Dorito, another chip I can't stand, smells like feet. I have never confused it with a Cheeto, not a big fan of Cheetos. I've never confused it with a Lay's chip or a Ruffles chip. They are very unique. I, but the flip side of that is I don't know what a Funyun is. Does anybody know what it is? Like, I've heard that it is all the smashed up pieces of leftover chips that they put together. But how do they get them into that circle, that ring? I have no idea how Funyuns work. Uh, Matt is, uh, goes gluten-free, and so he was like, I can actually eat Funyuns. I find that fascinating. Like, <laughs> it's amazing what you can and cannot eat. We may not, in a similar way, we may not know exactly what will make a movement of God in our lives and in our neighborhoods, but we know when we see less than a movement of God. We may not know how to manufacture God doing something in our lives, in our neighborhood, but we know when we've seen cheap imitations of people acting religious or acting like God is doing something. And I would much rather us be fiercely committed as a church to waiting on God and jumping in and saying, God, we're waiting on you to move. We're going to be active. We're going to do our part. We're prepared. But only God can move. I I want us to be much more about that. And so today we're going to call the message A Church on the Move, Amateur Movements. We're going to give three traits of what I would say is a church on the move um, from Titus 3. Now, when I was seven years old, my best friend Jeff Harden and I decided in in, in the middle Georgia Uh, heat of summer that we were going to chop down the large water oak in my mom's backyard. I mean, this thing was well over 100 feet tall. And so we got the proper tools. We had uh, one pocket knife, uh, some hockey sticks, an old, old, like, dull uh, hedge trimmer. We had our red bandanas on. We had Eye of the Tiger playing on our battery-powered boombox. We had Capri Suns. And we worked for weeks on that tree. And by the end of the summer, we had notched out about that much of that water oak. It's still there doing just fine today. And we learned several lessons, several lessons that we picked up. One, you don't chop down 100-foot water oaks with pocket knives, hockey sticks, and dull equipment. 
Second thing we learned is the eye of the tiger will help you perform at least 10% better than you would if you did not have eye of the tiger play. Uh, three, um, Capri Sun for a seven-year-old is heaven's nectar in the humid heat of the south. And then four, you don't chop down trees without giving effort. Man, we swung for the fences. We didn't get there, but we really gave it everything we had. My mom just would stare out the window like, what are these morons doing? Like, they're not chopping down this tree, and and sure to to form, she was right. Similarly, like, a a move of God requires uh, a very strategic, calculated effort. It also requires God to do something that we can never, ever do on our own. And... um, but at the same time, I've known Christians who just sit back and say, God's got to do it, and then they don't do anything. William Carey, who was a missionary to India, he was really the founder of the modern mission movement. The way that we start churches globally now and do missions globally uh, said this in the late uh, 1700s. He said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Sometimes we are trying to do stuff for God and we're not waiting on him to do it. Sometimes we're sitting around waiting on God to do something and then we're not trying. And it takes both of them. Movements happen when the people of God, no matter how amateurish, have a clear, undistracted vision, have leaders who are all in but don't make it all about them, have crazy generosity, like a see the need, meet the need type of mentality. We can't make God move, but we can be prepared when the Spirit begins to move. So let's, uh, let's wrap up Titus today. Here we go. Titus 3, uh, starting, in, uh, starting in verse 9. Paul says, But avoid foolish controversies. Avoid genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good work so as to help cases of urgent need not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith and grace be with you all. So remember uh, that Paul is writing a letter to one of his, to his protege, Titus, who is starting churches all over the Mediterranean island of Crete. Basically, the idea is find pastors, set up churches so that every zip code on Crete has a healthy New Testament multiplying church on it. And this was a huge undertaking. And so the letter of Titus would be read by Titus, but then it would be read to Christians and it would be read in these sort of proto churches, these early churches, so that they would see God uh, birth a really big movement on the island of Crete. And so I'm going to give you three traits today of a church on the move. Matt, if you'll go to the first one for me. Here's the first one. A church on the move focuses on mission and vision. I think this is really critical. Now, for Christians, mission is set for us. Mission uh, is our reason for existing. And if you'll go to the next slide, Jesus gives every single church that's ever existed their mission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And he says this, All authority uh, has been given to me on, from heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of 
the age. Jesus has called us to make disciples. He's called Christians as we're going to make disciples. Now, that might mean that God calls some of us to go to some other place and uproot our life and, and live out the gospel in that place. But it might just mean that God, as we are going, as you're going to work, as you're interacting with your neighbors, as you're at the park, living on mission... Now, vision, a church on the move, also is really focused on what their their vision is. Vision is a picture of how God sees something and how something can be and should be. So So it's essentially like us saying, oh, well, we can see our neighborhood as God would see our neighborhood. And it's so important that we become that that we're relentless and we're tunnel visioned and we say we're not going to do a hundred things because we're going to do this one thing well. So what God sees is what becomes reality. So Paul in verse nine told Titus, he says, avoid foolish controversies, avoid genealogies, avoid all of these things. In other words, don't worry about nitpicky theological arguments. That stuff doesn't matter. Don't worry about who's been a follower of Jesus the longest and who hasn't. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about adding a bunch of rules and making religion in this, making a religion out of this. Just be focused on relationship with God, relationship with people, loving your place. And, uh, and so as a church, we want to be faithful to that. We're not going to do a bunch of stuff. People have occasionally, over the last couple of years, come and said, well, don't you want to do whatever? Nope, we don't want to do that. We want to do Sunday where we preach the Bible and receive communion We want to serve our community. We want to do groups in a healthy way. And we don't want to do a thousand other things. It's not that those aren't good things. It's just they're not the things that God has called us to be and do as we serve our community. And so our goal as a church is to bring Charlestown together around the gospel. To bring our neighborhood and all of its diversity together around the gospel. That's our vision. We will know we're winning as our church grows, grows more diverse, and people in our community who are really different and on all ends of the spectrum say, our neighborhood is better because you are here. That's a win. I had somebody tell me the other day, they were here and they said, JD, they said, Christ Church Charlestown is one of the best things that Charlestown has going for it. I thought that was a really great compliment. That was really cool. And I pushed back and I said, I don't agree. I think this organization's good and this organization's good. He was like, I don't disagree. Those are great organizations. But your church is one of the few places that is loving everyone and trying to do it equally and seeing everyone be invited and able to come into what you're doing. That's a huge compliment of you and of what God's doing in this neighborhood. Second thing. A church on the move warns and rejects divisive people. Matthew, if you'll go to that next slide for me, just put it up really quickly. In verse 10, it says, as for a person... Oh, no, if you'll go to the next one, sorry. I should have made you put that up. My bad. Uh, A church on the move warns and rejects divisive people. In verse 10, Paul said, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. That sounds harsh. Verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, self-condemned. Some people are not going to be on board with a God-given vision. It's just how it works. Uh, In a church, most of the time, God will give the vision to a pastor or leader. So the pastor typically is receiving vision firsthand, and most people are receiving vision secondhand. 
That's just how it works. Not everyone gets all the vision equally at the exact same time. And so it's hard for everybody to stay on board in the exact same way. That's just difficult. It's not easy to do. Some people are sheep, and they follow the vision of a good shepherd. Some people, however, are colts. And colts are really fast, but they need to be broken. And some people are sloths. They're on board, but they're really slow. I love that movie Zootopia. I love those sloths. Like, I've seen people who are Christians who love Jesus who move at the pace of a sloth spiritually. Some people are wolves, and they need to be, um, they need to be dealt with in a way that you deal with a wolf who's going to endanger the sheep. Some people are goats. They're a little hard-headed and a little stubborn and hard to break. Some people are cats, very, very independent. We have two cats. One is very sweet, and she's really like a golden retriever stuck in a cat's body. The other one is very finicky, and you have to let her come to you. Some people are like that spiritually in the church, and some people are like squirrels, all hyper and easily distracted. You know, if something happens over here, your mind goes here. And in a church, you have all of these people, but we've all got to come up under the vision that God has given us. And so we always want to give people the benefit of the doubt in church, but at the same time, we practice what's called church discipline. Now, church discipline was practiced a lot until about 100 years ago. And in our sort of millennial, everyone gets a trophy generation that we find ourselves living in, uh, church discipline is really difficult to practice. And yet, at the same time, it's incredibly biblical, and Paul is giving the precedent right here. He says, if a person is stirring up division, you go to them and warn him once. And then the biblical pattern is, you go a second time, and the second time, you take a second person with you, so it's not one person against one person's word. And that second time, if they don't respond, the biblical pattern in Matthew 18 and here and five other times in Paul's letters is you go, you bring that person, not literally before the church, but you say, hey, you know, uh, you know Carla, and I'm going to use Carla as an example because she would never, ever in a million years get to this point. But we would say, Carla, she's stirring up division. We have a problem with her, and we're going to have to begin to pray for her and love her as if she didn't follow Jesus because right now she's acting like she doesn't follow Jesus but be careful and watch out for her because she's acting like a wolf. As a pastor in 20 years of ministry, there's been one time that we ever got to that point. As a church, it was, uh, it was about 10 years ago, and we had a person who we lovingly went to once and said, you are wrong, and the way that you are living is sinful, and it's against the gospel and against our church, and we want to ask you to repent and change your mind about how you're living And she said no. And so we went a second time with a a second person went. She said no. And finally we had to just say, hey, you know this person? We love her. But you've got to begin to treat her like a non-follower of Jesus because that's how she's living right now. And so be warned that she is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And and she left. And we were sad to see her leave. And um, she has since come around in her faith. And, and repented and begun to walk again as a woman of God. Uh, I've seen multiple times where we got to that second level where we went and warned someone twice and watched them repent. Uh, it's painful. And it sounds so like anti, it doesn't sound nice. It doesn't sound like what Christians should do. We had a, we had a donut on our tire the other day, not like a Dunkin' Donut, but we had a flat tire, we had a blowout, and so we had to put that warp, that, that donut on there, and the donut's not as big as all the others, so it feels like the car is wonky and slogging along, 
If, you, if we were to allow anyone to live however they want within the church, they're a warped person and they th- spiritually in that season, not forever, but it throws off the alignment of the church. You lose vision alignment. And so a church on the move warns and even rejects a divisive person if that's what it requires. A church will have vision pirates, people who don't come up with the vision. They just want to steal the vision. A church will have uh, amateur, immature theologians. I've been this guy many times in my life. I'm embarrassed to say it, but there were times I thought I knew more than the pastors I was serving under. And rather than share my ideas, I needed to be quiet and learn because I was being divisive as a younger man. There are contrarians, people who just love to argue about everything, and therefore they like to argue about mission and vision. And then a church has to walk, watch out for personality cult leaders, people who want to uh, have people follow them rather than follow Jesus. And as a pastor, like I need to have people around me who aren't just an echo chamber, who just make me feel good about myself, but who can say, hey, you're making this about you and not about Jesus. Let's focus We've got to be who God's called us to be. When we see these people, we don't run them out of a church. We try to call them to repent and love and humility. Uh, It's difficult. It is not the culture we live in. But we are actually becoming an unbiblical church if we never push back at one another and call one another to a deeper faith. The third thing about a church on the move, if you'll go to this, um, this next one, Matt, it practices crazy generosity. It practices crazy generosity. In verse 12, uh, 13, and 14, Paul said, Now when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Now, in your Bible, do you get the subheadings? Right here, do you get these little bold subheadings? This one just says final instructions and greetings in mind. I'm not sure what yours says. I can tend to gloss this part over, but there's some really helpful stuff here. Let me share a couple things with you. A church on the move is crazy generous. Look at what Paul is calling Titus to do and these churches to do and be. He says they need to be crazy generous with people. They need to be really generous with people. A church where God is at work is really, really generous with people. Think about the situation. Paul sends Artemis... Um, who we don't know anything about, and Tychicus, who is a, who's one of Paul's right-hand men. He delivers l- these letters that became books of the Bible. He delivers these for Paul. Uh, so he sends them. He, they're called to leave out of a church and go to Crete for a season and serve the church in Crete. But when they get there, Titus, who's in charge of this whole thing, is told, now leave the thing you're doing and you come over to the mainland of Europe. Even further, Zenos, who's a lawyer. Now remember, Christianity is illegal at this point, And Zenos is a lawyer. So it would be really helpful to have Zenos on Crete. Zenos, who's a lawyer. And Apollos, who presumably is the Apollos who is the pastor of the church in Corinth, where we get the book of First and Second Corinthians. Uh, those guys are told uh, that they've got to leave and... Um, and to be sent to Paul as well. So a church on the move is generous with people. I've seen that uh, personally. Scott and uh, Vaskin and Mark and Annie Ebert, who Mark and Annie had the little kids, um, Ellie and, gosh, why, uh, Ryan. Couldn't think of his name for a minute. Uh, thanks, Kayla. Uh, those guys were all part of a church in Roslindale. And when we got ready to start a church over here, their pastor said to me, he said, you can take anybody you want from our church. 
Anybody you want to come be part of Christ Church Charlestown, you ask them. And if they want to come, they're welcome to come. That is the mindset. of A church on the move is generous with people. It's generous with people. Pastor Rick Warren, who wrote A Purpose Driven Life, if you remember that 15, 20 years ago, said a church should be known by its sending capacity, not its seating capacity. Kayla, who works here as our kids director, moved here, sold her house in South Carolina, quit her job, moved here, and her church blessed her and gave her a nice computer and some other stuff on the way out because they're generous with people. A church on the move is generous with people. A church on the move is also generous with resources. These baby churches were to make sure that Zenos and Apollos had whatever they need. I don't know what that means. I assume that means money. I assume that means food. I assume that might mean that they needed traveling companions because it is the first century and it's kind of dangerous to travel some highways and oceans and everything else. So these new churches were to send whatever they needed to make sure that those guys were set. The other day... um, I was talking, so we're part of a network called Send Boston. There are 65 churches from the Cape out to Worcester to up to Nashua. And there's two Cambodian men who are starting a church in Lynn. And um, they have about 30 Christians in their group. They literally have nothing as a church. They have no signs. They have no screens. They have no speakers. They don't have Bibles. They don't have uh, coffee. They don't have, any, they have nothing as a church right now. And so, and they don't have a ton of money. Um, you know, our church is very fortunate and that we moved here from the South and new people from the South and churches invest in our church and families invest in our church so that one day it'll be self-sustaining and self-leading. But these guys in Lynn don't have that. And so I was talking with a pastor the other day about them and they're really good guys. They've been checked and vetted and everything. And I told the guy, like, just speaking on behalf of you, I was like, our church will buy their sound system. That was one of our most expensive things that we had to buy as a church. It'll cost us about $3,000. But we're going to give these guys at least $3,000 to help them get going. I don't think a church on the move will ever be. I don't think we'll, God is going to bless a church that's tight-fisted and just trying to hang on to stuff all the time. And so we're not doing this to manipulate God or anything else. We're doing this. Because God has blessed us so much. That's the gospel, right? And so at some point, we'll give these guys this stuff. And maybe a few of us will go worship with them on a Sunday when they begin to meet and just celebrate what God is doing. Here at our church, um, we want to be on the... I want to see God do something that is way bigger than us. And we just cannot do it with closed... We can't do it with closed hands. We just can't, like... It's a lot of work. Every Sunday, Scott walks in at 9 a.m. He tends, he helps your cousin, it's your cousin, uh, working late into the night. It was 2 o'clock, it was 3 o'clock before he got in this morning. Like, but here he is at 8.30 this morning, ready to run sound. It's incredible. That's generosity. Some of you are giving financially, sacrificially. Like, would it be easier to hang on to that money? Absolutely, it would be easier to hang on to that money. But you want to see God do something that's bigger than you. And I know that you don't want to be religious consumers because you would not be sitting in this muggy cafeteria this morning if you just wanted to do your own thing. You would be at home or on the beach or something. So here at Christ Church Charlestown, we want to be a church that our neighbors can come to. I want to be, I want to be a church that our neighbors can walk to. Like that idea of that, having that stroller parking area downstairs is the most exciting thing in the universe to me that you can just walk your family here. I want to be a church that makes sense to our neighbors. Uh, Miss Lisa, the first time she came after church, uh, she was like, I felt at peace here and I understood everything I heard. I want our neighbors 
to feel that way when they come here. I want us to call them to Christ and it not be weird. It makes sense. And them say, oh, that makes sense. I can follow Jesus. I want us to be a church for everybody in this neighborhood. Whether you and your family make $10,000 a year or a million dollars a year, I want everybody to feel like they have a part here and everyone's equal. I want us to be a church that isn't just stable, but a church that's multiplying. I open 100 years. This church is still here. We're not trying to plant something that's going to spring up and then go away in a couple of years. We want to plant an oak tree that you can't chop down in the course of a summer afternoon. And that takes time. We want to be not, I don't want us to be a nice church. I want us to be a shocking church. And not like Howard Stern shocking. When I say shocking, I mean people say, okay, wow, there is a God. And he is at work in this neighborhood. And I want us to be a church planted by every one of us, where it's not just uh, like three or four of us who are doing everything, but all of us together doing it. And so Paul ends the letter saying, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. We each need grace. Together we need a ton of grace. Christ Church Charlestown is totally contingent on grace. We don't know how to do this, but God is doing for us, in us, and through us what we don't deserve and can never do for ourselves. Um, so the Funyuns. Did you look, how many of you looked at the ingredients list? I don't, I didn't even look at it because I didn't want to unbox it. I don't know what all is in it. Again, it's garlic flavored sandpaper. If you like that, you have bigger problems in your life that you need to take before God. Um, I, I know that we cannot manufacture a church on the move. Whatever the ingredients of it are, God has to do it. God has to do it. But our, um, And I bet you that our community can't even tell you what a church on the move exactly is. But I bet you the people in our community can tell you what a church on the move is not. And they can tell you what religion is. And they can tell you what a dead church is and feels like. I think it would be so exciting and so God-honoring if God just moved in such a way that we didn't know how it happened, but we knew he did it. Now, you got a spreadsheet. Most of you should have a spreadsheet in your bulletin. If you want to yank that out, that'd be fantastic. And if you'll go to that slide with the spreadsheet, that would be awesome. So a couple of months ago, I was praying, and God confronted me with this question. Uh, I feel like God asked me uh, this question. If, if I did give Christ Church Charlestown growth, would you all be ready for it? If I grew our church, would you be ready for it? Would all the ministries across the board be ready? In other words, are we ready to be a church on the move. And so I think in praying, the answer was not yet. Over the next couple of days, I sat and, and made um, this, the nerdy spreadsheet. This is not my style uh, to do stuff like this, so I know it, it felt like it was from God for me. And, and so I made a list of like the silos in our church. I think my mic may be dying. Does it sound like it's dying? Yeah, it's cutting in and out. It's okay. Um, and so here were the silos of a Sunday here. Sorry the print's so small, but I wanted you to see all of it because I want us like this to be before you. Uh, Sunday volunteers, Sunday worship, Christ kids, community groups, community engagement, and church planting. Those are the six things that we do as a church. Serving on Sundays, having worship, uh, kids downstairs, groups, uh, which we do in like six-week bursts, serving our community, and then planting other churches. And so then I began to think, okay, what happens, God, as our church grows? And so it's not like, I'm not trying to be super innovative. We just created bronze level, silver level, gold level. 
Bronze level is where we are now, being a church from about 40 to 80 people, silver, 80 to 120, gold being a church that's 120 to about 180 people. And then I began to think about and pray about what it would take to pivot from bronze to silver and from silver to gold, because those are different places. Right now as a church, we're beginning to bump up on some Sundays, when you add in the kids and the volunteers downstairs, we're beginning to bump up toward 50 50 is the hardest transition for a church to make. The difference from a church of 45 to a church of 55 is tremendous. It's the hardest numerical church to break. That's why like over 90-something percent of churches in America are less than 100. They can't make the pivots that are required. And so I began to think about and pray about what it would take to move. And here were some things that I began to, um, some conclusions I began to make. We need to be a church Uh, that pushes past 50 as fast as possible. Now, only God can do that, but we play a part in that too. And so you're aware of that, be aware of that. It's the hardest level to get to, and here's why. Uh, The great thing about being a small church is that for the most part, everybody gets to be a poster child for something. When you're a church of like 25, 30 adults, everybody gets to be the poster child for something. Uh, Here's... Uh, here's so-and-so, you know, she's such-and-such. Oh, here's so-and-so, he's such-and-such. Oh, he's such a clown. Oh, she's so smart. Oh, this, that, and the other. She serves in this role. To go past that requires that nobody gets to be the one poster child for anything. They become multiples of things, and that most people just like to be, they like what's familiar, and they like to be known, and it's tough to make that transition. But in humility and desire to see God reach someone like us, we have to begin to adjust and to reach them. Second thing I noticed, regarding Sundays, the most urgent places of need in our church are we need these things, and I say these things over and over because God's got to provide them and you've got to feel like God is telling you to do something and I can't make you feel guilty into this. We need someone to stand out here and greet people on Sundays. It's a little confusing where you come in. So we need to make sure there's somebody out there, not awkwardly, but somebody just saying, hey, glad you're here today. Come on in, come up the steps. If you've got kids, go check them in here. Point people in the right direction. Second thing we need people uh, doing, we need someone running that every week. Matt's done a great job with that today. We need somebody sitting over there every week. It doesn't work well when the pastor is the one flipping the slides during worship. Like, it just doesn't. Um, So we need to change uh, that. The other thing that we need, and this is one that I've become more convinced about. We need someone who's doing, like, we'll call it security for no better word for it, who's going to make sure that nobody's walking into this building who shouldn't be walking into this building who make sure that the entry points are secure, and at 10.15, make sure that everything is either locked and people can get in. But we, especially downstairs, we've got to protect kids in this place and make sure that they're okay. And so that will be a very invisible role, but someone who just makes sure that during the service, everyone's okay, and they can sneak in here and hear the sermon, but not always. And then we need more teachers and uh, downstairs with the kids who are zero to four, because we have one family who is moving and another family who's having a baby, and those are the two main people who work down there in that area. I'm praying for us for a permanent worship leader um, and for some other stuff. Uh, that I won't get into because the hour is getting late. But I just want you to see that. This week in group, um, if you're part of a group, just look that over. If there's something you have a question about, text it to me, email it to me. I want to talk about that. I want it before you. Uh, I want God to do something that cannot be 
explained. Um, I had a friend who's older who visited our church at, right before Christmas, and after the service, it was a big step for her to come. After the service that day, she came up to me afterwards. I remember I was tearing down. I didn't want to go to her immediately because it was such a big step for her to come to church. She came up to me with uh, tears in her eyes, literally. I'm not just talking pastorally. Like, there were actual tears in her eyes, and she said, I don't know what I thought today would be, but that was different. Uh, the other night, after small group that met at uh, the Tager's house, Carson texts me and goes, would it be weird to say that God was, I felt like God was in our living room tonight? Those are amazing moments where God comes in and does something that, and shows, him, show, shows up. That's incredible. Think about that. God showed up in your living room. A 70-year-old who had never heard much of this in her life comes and says, that was really good. And I felt God here. Only God can do that. But we prepare. We prepare uh, for him to do it. Let me pray.